How are we all doing? Yes? You sound asleep to me. No? We all right? Good. I'm awake. So, well, it's good to be here. Um, as we've already highlighted, we got highlighted. We have a bunch of good things going on. Let me uh, help clear a couple things up. If you go to the website and you pull a little drop, drop down, there's Christmas missions offering that you can choose for that as well. Um, and all the rest of it. So it's good to be here with you. Um, I'm excited about this year at Christmas. It already feels like we're totally halfway through, doesn't it? We've been going for quite a while now. Um, we had a Christmas concert, pianos yesterday, parties at school, um, and it's on, right? And uh, particularly, I think these first two weeks of uh, December are the busiest weeks of the year with all the events and the things that are going on. There's an irony in that, though. The irony is that if we take the Advent season for what the early church meant it to be, it's not supposed to be a time of activity, but a time of waiting. I told you last week, I'm not good at waiting. I'm good at Amazon Prime, right? Click the button, it shows up. Eugene Peterson, I read once, said, as Americans, we're the people who are defined by the way we pace in front of our microwave. Right? Back and forth and back and forth. We are the can-get-it-done type of people and take pride in that. But Advent isn't that kind of holiday. Advent is the kind of holiday where we wait for God to act. We realize that what needs to happen or what we hope will happen is beyond our control. I don't really like it. It makes me uncomfortable and a little bit antsy. But I stopped and did a survey of the scriptures and thought about all the times that God had people wait. Abraham and Sarah waited their whole lifetime for a child who ended up being named Isaac and wasn't all that all that much. Right. But God worked through him. So they waited even longer. Joseph waited in Egypt for a long time for his brothers to show up, didn't he? Some of his waiting was done as the second in charge of all of Egypt. And some of his waiting was in a jail being falsely accused to do something he didn't do. Israel waited for 40 years in the desert, wandering around, waiting to go to the land that God promised him. The people of Israel, once the Babylons and the Assyrians took them captive, waited 40 more years to come home. And then finally, at the end of the Old Testament, the prophets and the people of Israel waited 500 years for God to speak again. He had gone silent, and the big question in that period of Israel's history was, has God abandoned us? Will he come back to us? It seems to me when we, and I could have made that list five times as long, I promise you. But it seems to me that the God of Israel... And the God of the New Testament takes waiting seriously, huh? There's something that he's doing in all this waiting to shape shape us. The question we have is, is it worth it, huh? We tolerate all this Old Testament waiting because we know the way the story ended, don't we? Always helps if you turn it on. They waited, and we celebrate at Christmas why they waited. And we know that it was worth the wait, huh? 
God didn't come back this time as a cloud or in a temple. He most, in one of the most shocking things of all of history, he came back as one of us. Right? He said he dwelt amongst us, the scriptures tell us in John 1. And the story doesn't end there. He didn't just dwell amongst us and become as one of us and die for us. But after he left, he sent what? His indwelling spirit to rest in us. Was the wait worth it? I think it was. Because it was so unexpected in how it happened the first time. And it was so permanent in how it happens in the indwelling of the Spirit. But maybe the most shocking, the next shocking thing about the, the end of our Old Testament is that the waiting isn't over, is it? Even the birth of Jesus and the dwelling of the Spirit, our waiting isn't over. Now, as God's people in this place, we wait for Him to come back again, huh? So God is all about this waiting again. The climax of history was Him coming to be one of us. The sealing of us as His believers was His dwelling Spirit being a part of us. And then He makes us wait some more. We wait now for the gracious and merciful judge to come back. We wait for Him to return this world to its rights. To fix it. To make it like He always wanted it to be, huh? Because even though he's come back, we do live in a broken world, don't we? I faced the evil of this world face to face this week when my friend Jim fell and died, huh? But that evil that still reigns in this world that hasn't totally been fixed is all over the place. It's in the natural disasters we read in the, hear about in the news. It's in the broken marriages that we walk alongside the suffering kids that are a result of it. It's in cancer. It's in destructive sex. It's in Huntington's disease, corrupt governments, bad fathers, homelessness, drug abuse, and on and on and on. As we wait, we see this brokenness. But you know what I'm waiting for Jesus to take care of most? The thing that needs the most fixing is I'm waiting to receive his forgiveness and fall him, aren't I? That's what we're waiting for. Why does God make us wait so much? Why does he place us in this world that he said he was going to fix and just leave us there for it? I have a little rule, right? And my little rule is, is when people start telling you what God thinks... Buyer beware, okay? Because one thing we know is we aren't God, right? I'm going to break my rule today. Um, but hopefully, so buyer beware. If you don't buy it, there you go. But I'm going to try to answer that question for us a little bit. I think I've demonstrated for us that waiting is part of the biblical story. I'm going to tell you part of the answer of why he does it right now is waiting is one of the ways that God makes us, grows us up, doesn't he? But let's think about this question. Why does God make us wait? By waiting and causing us to wait in this world that's broken, I'm reminded over and over again how much I need Him, 
don't I? I can't fix these problems. I remember when I was 17 and just become a Christian, I thought I had it all nailed down. I had a naive optimism about the state of the world and how things were going to work out. As time has passed, the world has beaten that optimism out of me. I can do the best I can, but I can't solve those problems. Brian and I were caring for a family that needed some care, and we'd gone to Costco and bought them a bunch of of, um, essentials, toilet paper, cleaning supplies, and all that, and we took them back to their house. And I said, Brian, this is good, but this is not, this is a Band-Aid, right? This is not solving this problem. And he looked at me and says, Todd, this is all we have today. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back to fix that problem in full. I know I can't do it by myself as hard as I try. The second reason I think that God has us wait is that he wants us to get to know him. You know, I think this is true. It just kind of annoys me a little bit. He could give me the cliff notes and I could get to know him faster, right? This is not the most efficient way, but apparently he thinks it's the most effective way. And waiting, we get to see he's patient, don't we? Isn't that obvious? How powerful is it? We, he waits so that not one will perish, huh? And waiting, we see he's faithful. He keeps his promises, huh? He promised he would give Israel land and he gave it to them. He promised he would come back um, and be with them and he did it. He promised through the prophets that one would come who would be broken um, for the sins of his people, and he did that too. We see his character and his nature as we wait for him. And waiting, we also see that he's just. He doesn't rush to judgment. He doesn't bring out the old self-justice and see something bad and acts on it in an instant, but he lets time play its course so that we will know in good and full um, wisdom, what is right and just. And in waiting, we see that He's for us, right? He's for us. In my life, in hindsight, as I look back on the events that God has done in my life and how He's manipulated the details, I see Him now in places that I didn't know He was at the time. Does that make sense? I've told the story before, but um, and we you, you've known that we've loved our time in Australia, but God took us from the place we thought we'd be to the rest of our life to a town that we'd never heard of on the other side of the world. And when we got there, it was the middle of the Australian summer, and they hadn't seen a drop of water in about four months, and it was dry and a barren place. And the very first Sunday we walked into the church that we were going to, they were sending their pastor away on sabbatical because he needed a rest. That's no accident, huh? That's what you see God doing as we wait for him. We knew why Tammy was going to Australia. I had no idea what I was. And now we look back at that part of our life and realize that he had sent us to that place for her, but for me too. When we wait, we see him. We wait because that's how we get to know God. We see his patience, his faithfulness, his justice, and his commitment to us. And the final thing, and this is attached to the previous two, is in our waiting, our faith abounds, huh? 
Remember that term I talked about last week in the Old Testament called hesed? Hesed is the word for loving kindness that says love isn't just an emotion, but it's based on past actions or faithfulness or getting it done, right? We have hope and we wait because we know he's been faithful in the past, don't we? It's in this environment of uncertainty, but looking back at God's promises and seeing how he works in our life, that our faith grows. I know I can't do this on myself. I know this world is broken. I know God promised that he'd come back. I know that he has been faithful in all that he said in the past. And I know that he's working on me. And so I will hope and wait just a little bit longer for him. huh? And that's faith right there. Those two words, faith and hope, really work together, aren't they? I think hope is actually the physical manifestation of faith. Hope is the thing that says, I'm going to stick with him because I don't have any place else to go. Hope is the the thing that says, I'm going to place my faith in him because I've seen him act on my behalf in the past. Hope is the thing that says, I'm going to continue walking in light of the way he's told me to because I've seen that he's good and he loves me. Will this waiting be worth it? What do you guys think? I hope you know the answer. We know this waiting is going to be worth it because he's been faithful in the past, hasn't he? God was faithful in the garden in the beginning of our story to make a good place for us and to be there with it. He provided. God was faithful in the desert as he delivered the Israelites from the Egyptian and took him to a new home. God was faithful in the manger to come and be with us in the most unexpected and glorious way. God was faithful on the cross to die and to forgive us in a way that would give us hope for the future. And then God was faithful in another garden when he beat death and walked out of that grave. Listen to the words of our first believers. He is not here. He has risen, and just listen to these words because we overlook them sometimes. Just as he said, come and see the place where they laid him. If he's been faithful in all these things in the past, why would he stop being faithful to us now? But I have to admit, he's taking a little longer than I'd like. The second reason that I think we should remain faithful and that the waiting is worth it, is something that my friend Ben Brown taught me powerfully when he preached at his own granddaughter's wedding years a couple years ago. And it came from John chapter 6. And you might not recall John chapter 6 right from um, the verse, the chapter name, but you will from the events. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people by stealing some kid's lunch, Remember? And then after he had done this miraculous thing and they had more lunch to eat after they um, finished than when they started, he sent the disciples off in the boat to cross over to the other side. And everyone saw him go. And then in the middle of the night, Jesus started to mess with them and walks to them on the water and gets in the boat and they cross the other side. John 6 takes up on the, the other side of that lake. And the next day, people show up and say, how did he get here? He wasn't in the boat with them. They start asking questions because they'd seen him do the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 the day before. And now he's on the other side of the lake that he shouldn't be in. And they start asking the question, who is this guy? 
And some of them are getting a little hostile to him. And Jesus returns hostility for hostility, kind of insinuates that he's God, which doesn't make them too happy. And then goes on to say um, that text where he says, uh, if you want to be my people, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people said, I'm out, right? That's just too weird and too crazy. What in the world is this guy talking about? And they start to leave. And some of the people that were actually called his disciples, not the twelve, were leaving too. And Jesus gathered his twelve around him and said, why didn't you leave? And look at Peter's answer. And, you know, Peter gets a bad rap for getting it wrong, but here he got it right. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? To whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. If you decide there's too much waiting involved, it doesn't make sense. I I appreciate that. But I would ask you next, where are you going to go? Where will you find hope? Will it be money, status, power, politics? Good luck. God be with you. I don't think you're going to find anything as just and righteous and caring and intimate and relational as you will in the person of Jesus. Where will you go? I want to tell you a little story now. You guys might have heard we like baseball in our family. This is David, and uh, I'm going to just do that for you because I know you can't tell the difference. Uh, David, um, he's our nice child. He's not listening right now, right? He's the calm one. He, you know, he doesn't... David's the one you want to go on a 12-hour card ride with. Let me just tell you that right now, okay? But at the end of last year, kind of out of character, David decided that he wanted a Quattro Pro. It's a bat, for those of you who don't know. But it's not just any bat. It is the most expensive bat anyone ever made in the history of the world, right? We're like, no, you can't have that bat. It doesn't do you any good. But our friend Jadik came over one day after a baseball game, and David was jonesing for this bat, and uh, Jadik had come over. The other thing you need to know about David is I say he's the one you want to go on a car ride. If you go on a long car trip with him, you need to know he will only eat pizza, chicken, and french fries, okay? That's it. Everything else is met with such scorn and disapproval before it even touches his mouth that it's going to end poorly, okay? But our friend Jadik, and Jadik is Polish for grandfather, shows up and he has a garden in his background, back, background, his backyard, and he's very excited that he's grown some of the most glorious fava beans you have ever seen in your life. These were monster fava beans. And he's sharing with him, he's trying to get the kids to eat these fava beans, and they're like, no way. But they don't, they're not going to tell him that because they love their Jodic, right? Um, but Jodic keeps pushing the fava beans on him, and, and there's like, David, and for certain, is not going to try this bean. There's no way this is going to happen. Someone in our family, it wasn't Tammy, said, David, come here, come here, come here. Why don't you tell him that if you eat the beans, he'll have to buy you a quattro. So he goes over, says to Jodic, if I eat all four of those beans, will you buy me a quattro? Which, there's only one answer to that question, right? So David, the deal is made right there in our living room. And uh, he 
pops the bean over, and sadly, there are four bean pods in there that have to be eaten. And in goes the one, and I'm coaching him, David, you just need to chew a couple, take a big drink and swallow, to which he cannot do it, right? So he is chewing this bean, and the face is just, oh, he's dying. Down goes the first bean, takes the big drink, the second bean goes in. And just, I mean, this went on ten minutes, Yes. At least. And he is suffering for this bean. He gets the third bean down and the fourth bean is in his mouth. And he's chewing and all of a sudden all four beans appear all over the kitchen floor. Luckily, fava bean is some of the easiest puke to clean up in the world. But the look on his face if I didn't get the bat meant... He was going to get the bat. I have to do this carefully because I have to do this in second service too. What happened was, is he really wanted that bat for the all-stars that was coming up in the next week. But we told him, and I also knew bats go on sale after the baseball season's over. (laughs) He could get the bat for Christmas, but he's going to have to wait for it. He's been waiting for this beauty since the end of June. And you know what? He's hoping that this bat's going to help him hit dingers. Lots of dingers. And he kind of thinks that this bat is the thing that's going to make him the best hitter in, what do we call it, Sierra Foothills Little League. Because no one else, his dad is Dumb enough, or at least his dad's friend, to pay that much money for even a half-price bat. But I have some sad news for him. Bats don't hit dingers. Players do, huh? And I have never seen one bat really make that much difference in any one kid. But that's where his hope is right now. In this bat. So my question for you, on this Sunday... What do we hope for? And where are we going to place our hope? I'm going to place my hope in Jesus. You know why? Because He's the only just and merciful God or end that I know of. I know some mercy. I know some people who do justice. I just don't know anyone who does them together the way He does. And I'm going to hope in Jesus because as far as I can tell... He's the only one who can fix this broken world. And he promised me, and he's kept every promise he's ever made to me, that he's going to come back and do it. Amen?